Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Matchet and the Other Guy. And you join Kevin and me outside my home, as ever, on the banks of beautiful sunny Lake Wiley in Charlotte, North Carolina. Kevin, how are you today? I'm very well, I'm very well. Jolly good. I never know what we're going to be talking about for any new listeners, but that doesn't really make any difference because whatever we talk about, we veer wildly tangentially off target pretty quickly but what should we be talking about today kevin well today's topic is one that you are very passionate about and can really sink your teeth into that is books and literature oh this will be right up your alley yes okay some of your favorite authors and some of your favorite books and growing up and i know we'll only be able to even touch on a small part of this but yes okay well, let's start this way then, if you don't mind. Tell me about one of your favorite books. <laughs> well, I'm very remiss in that I am not nearly as well read as you. Not even close. I just could not sit and relax and read. <laughs> some, some folks can and some folks can't. And I, will, I mean, all through teenage years and all that, I mean, it took up until probably when I started dating my wife to really sit down and, and start reading. And this was yeah. uh, 12 years ago. Yeah, okay. Um, because I just was always so, like, on the go. Yeah. You know, I was wanting to skateboard or be out doing something. Or in the evenings, I just couldn't. I would, I would always have a movie on yeah. or my TV shows or something like that. I'd always have more stimuli. So to sit down and, and read was just such a rarity of a chance of thing of happening. Right. That I just just didn't. I regret and, that I didn't do that more often now, but I, yeah. I, I did not. So your favorite book of all time will be Life in the Fast Lane, followed by The Mechanic's Tale, and then The Chariot Makers, followed by These Desired Things. Of that, course. <laughs> From this very obscure author. <laughs> that's right. Well, you have, a, you have a very discerning taste in, in literature. Yes, I, conversely, that's not artillery here, by the <laughs> yes, way, we're not being I don't think so. As far as I'm aware, it's not artillery. We think it's construction work on the other side of the lake. Um, conversely, I have always been surrounded by books and literature, and I've always enjoyed it. And in previous episodes of the podcast, we may have touched on the fact that I spent many years growing up in an old uh, English manor house, absolutely wonderful old English country house, and spent a lot of time on my own. Um, but we had, a, as one may imagine, in this wonderful manner, had a wonderful library, which was full of books. And my mum was a big reader. And so I was always surrounded by books, and uh, I enjoyed reading from a very early age. And it was mum that introduced me to my, really my favourite uh, author, Her- Ernest Hemingway. Uh, so I was reading Hemingway at an early age, and I, although, of course, being so young, I didn't really fully appreciate Hemingway for his writing skills and ability. I was fascinated by his stories of life in the country, his camping stories and his boating stories and his fishing stories. Um, I was never really particularly enamored with his safari hunts in Africa. That, that, those, those stories never really gelled with me at all back then. And frankly, they don't really gel with me now. Um, Although I like Hemingway, there are a lot of Hemingway books that really I, I've read once and I'll never touch them again. But some of his works I will read over and over again. But if I had to choose the two books, two favourite books, actually, Kevin, they're not Hemingway books. One is by George Orwell, 1984, and the other one would be 
Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome, completely different in every way. But I was introduced to those stories very early on, and they've had both had a very lasting effect uh, on, on me, I think, in, certainly in adult life. And as you know, I have recorded an audiobook version of Three yes, Men in a Boat purely because I was, I was, I'm such a fan of that book that, that when the possibility arose to record an audiobook version of it, I jumped at the chance and wanted to do it. So it was just a pet project to do that because I always wanted to record that story. And it was its 130th anniversary? 130th anniversary, yeah. yes, of the release of the book. So I think it was 1889. Just a story, a very gentle story of three men who and their dog who take a boat trip from London up to Oxford along the River Thames and it's just the adventures and misadventures that they get up to but the comedy that Jerome K. Jerome puts into that book for saying it is over 130 years old is so on point it's still to me I every time I read it I end up chuckling to myself, and it's a, it's, it's a wonderful story. So, gentle listener, if you're ever stuck for something to read or something to listen to, doesn't have, it doesn't have to be my version of the audiobook, but I would recommend reading Three Men in a Boat to anybody because it will give you a great introduction to how that renowned, if you like, dry sense of British humour came about. It, you could see hints of Python in it back then. You can see hints of Rick Mail and the young ones in it. All that British humour is based in Three Men in a Boat. It's a wonderful story. Which yeah. is something I thoroughly enjoy is British humour. Yeah. So I need to find that time where I can sit and maybe give that one a go. Yes. And um, he wrote a follow-up to uh, Three Men in a Boat called Three Men on the Bummel, which was uh, another holiday adventure with the same characters, this time on cycles. And I think they were touring... Um, in the black forests of Germany. And I've read it, and it doesn't really work in the same way. It was, uh, it was really, Three Men in a Boat was such a, such a star book to try and better with a follow-up. Yeah. It never really worked, but uh, it's, it's out there. But Jerome K. Jerome, he wrote a number of plays. He was a successful playwright and a successful author, but of course he'll always be, he'll always be known for that one, that yeah. one thing. Yeah. Uh, my other favourite, as I just mentioned, 1984, completely different and a pessimistic story from start to finish. But I remember being introduced to that by my English teacher at high school, and I would have been 13, 12, 13. And from the opening paragraph onwards, I was absolutely caught into the story, caught up in the story. I couldn't put it down. I think it starts, the book starts something like the, the, the clocks were ringing 13 on a cold April day. I haven't quite got the phrasing right, but that's what it was. I remember the clocks ring, ringing 13. And um, yes, yeah, so it's one o'clock. It was using the 24 hour clock. And it is the story of an everyman, Winston Smith, and his struggle against what was known as the party, the political party. And it was, a, it was an absolute despotic political regime that had taken over, fundamentally taken over the world, but taken over Britain and Europe, uh, just known as the party. And the figurehead of the party, and this is, a, this is a name that everybody will be familiar with if you're not familiar with 1984, the figurehead of the party was Big Brother. Yep. Um, and so Big Brother was this sort of omnipotent person who 
really never was never born and will never die. He was that figurehead of the party, I, I, I guess based on Stalin. And um, he was supposed to take great care of everybody and supply everything that everybody needed in Oceania, the setting of the story. But in reality, they were all living in desperate poverty. And it was his struggle against the thought police. You couldn't even have a free thought without the police getting involved. And uh, you'd be tortured uh, if, if you just said the wrong thing or thought the wrong thing. Um, but the party was so, just so thoroughly awful that there was no, you weren't immediately, for example, executed for something if you didn't agree with the party. You were tortured and reconditioned and brainwashed until you absolutely loved Big Brother, until you absolutely adored everything about the party. You were an absolute perfect convert and then killed. That was the odd, odd way that, that that society worked. But I was so caught up in the strangeness of it all and the way that the party changed the language and... In another episode of our podcast, we've talked about the value of language and my love of different languages. Yep. And in 1984, there is the Newspeak Dictionary. And I think they're on the 11th edition of the Newspeak Dictionary. And the, the party is working to destroy the language, to take all the words away from the language that prevents people thinking in a free way. There's no, there can be no freedom because the word freedom no longer exists and the language is changed in a way that stops people being able to communicate. And Orwell wrote this book in 1948. All he did was turn the last two figures around, 1948 to 1984. Okay. Uh, that's where the title of the book comes from. But back in 1948, Orwell was an absolute political genius. He'd already foresaw the fact that for whatever reason, different people, different folks, different organizations would want to change the way the language works. And we're already seeing it now with the way different, different people are reacting to gender in a different way now in language that wasn't the case 20 years ago. And we're starting to lose information from the language, be it good or be it wrong. I'm not arguing that case, but Orwell had already seen it that if we strip information away from the language, we deliberately make ourselves less intelligent of what the language is trying to tell us. Yeah. We strip information away from it. And Orwell had seen this, what was about to happen, in 1948. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it being a, being a re-brought up topic the past year. Yes. COVID lockdown and everything that's been going on. Um, and of course, I also remember uh, being 15 when 84 actually happened and yeah. it being, uh, I remember we were, if, you know, when they turned the year, new year, we were usually in Tennessee visiting family. We, you know, I lived in Florida, but we'd always come up for Christmas and stay. I still remember like on New Year's Day, it was a big like topic on Nightline or something. We are in 1984 and yeah. where, I remember that, that vividly. Yeah. Yes, it, it is a truly, it is a truly remarkable story. Um, just the way that it becomes impossible for any sense of freedom to happen between the, the population of Oceania, this imagined country. And to give a little backstory to, or a little plot synopsis of 1984, gentle listener, if you've never read it, I do do encourage you to, I, there are many different audiobook versions out there. Um, Simon Preble, I think his name is, did a wonderful narration of 1984, or simply read the book. 
Um, Winston Smith is the lead character and he believes that Julia is working for the Thought Police and is out to is out to depose him and get him turned into the authorities and tortured and eventually killed. But it actually turns out that Julia has fallen in love with him, but there is no way that they can communicate this to each other. And Julia is very much the forceful, dominant character in the story. Winston Smith is kind of always on the back foot and terrified of what might happen. Julia has fallen in love with Winston Smith just because he's, she senses in him the sense of rebellion that she has but of course they can't talk about it because they're under video surveillance wherever they go there is no privacy there's no sense of uh, isolation from anybody and so she arranges to have a, a small accident she falls down on the floor and just as Winston Smith is walking past and Winston doesn't know whether or not he should help her up is that something he should do or would the thought police think that there's something very curious about him wanting to help this young woman back to her feet but he does so and as he bends down and extends his hand to help julia off the floor she surreptitiously clandestinely hands him a small note in his hand and he feels the note going into his hand but of course he's now absolutely terrified of what this note might say he doesn't know who julia is at this point Moreover, he can't think of a way that he can open the note and read it because he's under surveillance all the while. So he, he rushes to the men's room effectively and just opens this note very quickly and scrawled on the note in, in very rough handwriting in pencil is the note, I love you, from Julia. And then he has to scrunch the note back up and, and get rid of it before there's any evidence of yeah. it. And so this romance starts to develop, but it is just... a it's a wonderful story from start to finish. But, as I said at the, at the very outset, it is pessimistic from start to finish. And uh, I'll say no more than that. Not, not the feel-good read of the, for the beach. Not the feel-good read for the beach. <laughs> but I encourage everybody, everybody to read 1984. It should be required reading in school, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where it you know, kind of would, would go back with me. I, they didn't do a lot of required reading. You know, you have reading lists and right. stuff for kids. We really didn't have those. Now, we did have, like, book reports and stuff, and I just remember that I just would never finish the book, yeah. whatever it was. I remember finishing one. It was after college, and, and I just found myself having enough where I would sit down and read, and I read, of all things, American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which was given to me by a friend, and I did read that one cover to cover, and then it, it would it would just be years before... <laughs> yes. I just would not settle down to read, yeah. and I think a number of years later, a friend was, was visiting me, and we just got on the to topic of whomever. We ended up talking about... Um, uh, Tatum O'Neill, the actress. Yeah, sure. And not long after he went back home, as a thank you, he mailed me her autobiography. And wow. I did pick that up. And I was traveling some, so it was easier when I was in the airplane to calm, you know, sit down and, and read it rather than doing a crossword or something like that. So I ended up finishing that one. And then again, it went a few years later. <laughs> and the, 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 the thing that got me to where I could sit down and read them was when I, when I first met my wife, they she's a big beach person. Right. And they always had a family beach trip where they go for a full week. So I was, you know, invited to come that first time when we were dating. And her version of the beach is leaving it, you know, heading out onto the sand like at 9 a.m. and coming in for a lunch break and coming back out till 5. And she will sit there <laughs> and soak the rays 
and read yeah. the whole time. And Some she's folks picked, can do it, yeah. She's picked whomever mystery writer, whatever. It's all fictional, little stories and stuff she likes from some of her favorite authors. And so I said, well, I've got to find something to do with my time. I can do a little bit of surfing, a little bit of playing in the water and stuff, but I'll be out there for a long time. So that first trip out there, I read um, the last Harry Potter book, The Death of Hallows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'd seen all the movies and the book had come out and the new movie was being filmed. Yes. So I was able to sit and read that one and I really enjoyed it. That's great. You know, again, I'm out there, I'm calm and sitting yeah. down and just letting the breeze go by under a nice shady umbrella. And then, I, but I also tended to read, like I think maybe on that same trip or maybe the next year's trip, because we go every year and spend a week down there. I read um, Alex Roy's book about breaking the transcontinental record, driving from you know New York to California okay. in record time. Yeah. And again, I'm geared you know toward car stories and, and things like that. And I think. I tend to like stories that are true stories, telling, like, you know, when I read her autobiography, things that yeah. really happened. Yeah. I think I tend to find I like those better than I do fiction. I enjoyed the Harry Potter book, but I tended to, again, read biographies or autobiographies. Yeah. So was that the first Potter book that you read? Was the last one, or did you go back and read the whole series? I'd from... seen all the movies. Right, right. Yeah. And that's the only book I ever read. And I will say that people are right. Uh, the, the book was far better than the movie. The movie was good. They, all yeah. the movies were pretty darn good, but it was in such more detail and just, I really enjoyed the, you know, the, the writings. Yes. Yeah. I, I must admit the, uh, the Deathly Hallows to me, there was large parts of it where I thought, gosh, this is, this is very dark and it was, it was engrossing to read it, but I did think Gosh, is that when are we going to get to a light point in this story? It kept going on, and nothing, nothing really uplifting seemed to happen. But I suppose that was the whole point of the book. I do remember when the Harry Potter books first came out, which I guess would have been, I want to say, ninety-seven, something like that. Sounds, sounds about right. Mm -hmm. I resisted reading them for quite a while, thinking wrongly that a lot of it was based on hype and they weren't that interesting, and. Uh, one day I just sat down and read the first volume and was instantly hooked. I thought, J.K. Rowling's got this wonderful ability to suck you yeah, into a world. Yeah, I know you're, you're a fan of Yeah, of I mean, it really caught my imagination. And she's been discussing such detail, it's almost pointless to discuss it here, but on a personal level. She has such a wonderful ability to create her imaginary world. And you get that sense of when you walk with her through her characters in through the main doors of Hogwarts she knows exactly which painting is on the left and which painting is on the right and where the doorways lead to and where the stairways go and her her own knowledge of her world is phenomenal even if she only puts 50% of that knowledge into the stories you you kind of trust her to know where you're going you know where she's leading you and she also I think is extremely good at writing dialogue you know, I've written a bit of dialogue, and I, it's not my strongest suit, for sure, but uh, I've got better at it. But when I read Rowling's dialogue, she is, she's so good at giving her characters dialect and accent written into that page that you no longer need to have, at the end of her sentences of dialogue, said Hermione, said Harry, because yep. you know which character is, is speaking. It's when you first read it, that is easily overlooked. But 
in reality, when you look how well she's done it, that's a brilliant skill. Yeah. That she makes it look so effortless, but it's not effortless, it's a great ability. And um, I know at one time, maybe it's changed a little bit, but I know at one time it was very popular to downplay the popularity of the books. Oh, Harry Potter, <laughs> who's taking it seriously? I think that has changed now, and I think the books are so. really being yep. appreciated for what they are. I liked it. I like to think so. Yeah, and obviously the way I did it, you know, having seen all the movies up to that point, reading the book, you know, to me, when I was reading, you know, Harry is Daniel Radcliffe, and Emma right. Watson is Hermione. Yes. And, yeah, and, you, you know, can see that. Obviously, yeah, right. you know, Every, everybody you know in the book, unless it's a new character, yeah. you have in your, what you've been shown is that character. The next, the next thing that kind of you know, went along that same path was we, we, we'd gotten married and we uh, did a honeymoon down in the Dominican at one of these all-inclusive oh, resorts. Very nice too. So I knew I'd be sitting out by the pool yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. So I took a book with me, but the funny thing was they had a library there uh, and it was a leave one, take one. Oh, yeah. And I just happened to kind of glance at it, you know, the first day I was there. And they had uh, the book by the Stig, Ben Collins. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah. well, that's right up my alley. So I just tucked in the book that I'd brought. I won't say who that is. but yeah. <laughs> And I took the Stig book. And I More autobiography. So you're, you're really into the yes. autobiographies. Yeah. yeah. So I read, uh, I started it. I don't, yeah, I didn't finish it on that trip. But I, I started it and got through it for a number of days. We did stay fairly busy. We, we, we played uh, volleyball in the pool every day yeah. with uh, another group that was down there. But I enjoyed the downtime of reading it. And then once we went on the beach trip again with the family, I, I finished it there. And then another one that, along those same lines, there's a, a great used bookstore in Knoxville. And I picked up a autobiography. Well, no, I, this was not an autobiography. It was a biography. Okay about Mickey Dora, oh, yeah. who was one of the surfers in the uh, Malibu surfing scene back when the, in the Gidget days and all that, and actually surfed with the real Gidget. And So you so, were all over that immediately, being yeah. a surfer. Well, and two, to this day, I got about halfway through it, because <laughs> until I was going back to sit on the beach, and I just haven't cracked it open again. Yeah. So again, I, I'm a creature of my own habits. I don't think they're that good sometimes, but yeah, I've, well, I've maybe, not finished it. Maybe with the rise of audiobooks and they're, they're a, they have become so popular now that maybe that would be an, an avenue for, I mean I find I, I'm listening to more audiobooks these days than I am reading books simply because my eyesight is beginning to fail you know, just with age it's just you know I've been wearing readers for a number of years now but uh, I've, you know, I, I, I will willingly sit down and listen to an audiobook and whether it's through Audible or whether it's on YouTube, but there is no shortage and you can go onto YouTube and just put full audiobook in there and there's, there's hundreds there. That's true. There's That's hundreds true. there. Now that is, to, that, that is a different uh, way of looking at it because mm. if we go back, I remember this was like, let's say 94, somewhere around there. Right. And we were going, we had to take a trip, you know, I was, when I was working with goodies and we were going to go down to Atlanta and... We got in the car and the young lady that was driving, we went in her car, there's four of us in there, and she had um, Jurassic Park on audiobook. Okay. And I tell you, it was almost like we just snapped our fingers and we were in Atlanta. There you go. Because it was, you, yeah. were, you just were listening to the story the whole yeah. way down. And I was like, I've never seen anything that made a trip go by so quickly and so much yeah. more pleasurably. And, I, and then I was hooked. So then anytime we took long trips, we would always get an audio. We used to get them at Cracker Barrel. 
you'd go in and you'd, you'd, you'd pay for it at Cracker Barrel, you'd rent it. Yeah. Like buying it, or renting it from a library, as long as you returned it to another Cracker Barrel. Oh, is that right? Within uh, you know, X idea. amount of days. Yeah, I didn't know So that. we did that quite a bit. And I remember uh, listening to the uh, Into Thin Air, the uh, John Krakauer story of the Everest disaster yes, in 96. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a big one, because that's a true story. Um, but another one, we were going down to the, you know, Tennessee was playing um, Virginia Tech in the Gator Bowl. So a bunch of us were going to the game down there. And we listened to, I, we listened to a really good story on the way down. And then on the way back, we were listening to, um, I can't remember the author, but uh, A Simple Plan was the, the book. It's okay. where the two, two brothers find a, a downed plane in the woods full of cash that they know you obviously had something to do with drug Oh, well, that sounds very familiar, yeah. Um, so we were listening to that on the way back. Well, we get, we pull back into Knoxville. I mean, this is like on Sunday night. We all got to be at work the next day. Yeah. And they pull up in front of my house and it's like one in the morning and they pull up and then they're kind of looking at me and I didn't move and they're like, what are you doing? I said, I'm listening to the story. We're almost to the end. They're like, get out of the car. <laughs> and I'm like, ugh. So, Leave me here all night. I know, I've been listening to this for three yeah. hours now. Um, so they had to bring it in the next day. And let me, I finished it on the on the boom box. I just put the tape in, you know, back when we did tapes and, li- and finished out the story that day. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the audiobook, well, especially when traveling. I, I, in the and I'm a fan of them too. And I, I must say that I've had great pleasure in recording my titles as audiobooks. And I was a bit reluctant to do it at first. And then when I was asking around friends and colleagues, the consensus was, well, the, the You've got a problem, Steve, in the fact that your voice is so well known through your broadcasting days that to have someone else read your audiobooks would sound wrong because the audience already knows your voice. Where most authors, uh, you don't know what they sound like because they're authors and they're not broadcasters. So anybody within reason can read that story and you'll believe the voice. But because my voice was so well known, I thought, well, I, I agree with that. The audience will be expecting to to hear my voice in an audio book. So, well, in the, the vast majority, the content is from your perspective anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, so. so I taught myself to do it like everything else I've done in life, really, just self-taught. And um, it was great. It was great fun to do audiobooks though I will say when you hear an audiobook I mean now I can look back with the hindsight of having done it myself they 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 come across as so seamless from start to finish but the reality is there are endless edits and retakes of lines that are fluff when you hear a six hour or eight hour 12 hour audiobook it seems absolutely flawless, but of course, there's a lot of editing work going uh-huh. into that to get it correct. Well, I'm sure, and, and too, I think, especially the ones that are like, you know, somebody telling somebody, some author's fictional story, is there's got to be that decision of having the author do it, which yeah. sometimes they do. Now, sometimes it's it's an author that's been passed away for many, many years. Right. But then, they, do you get someone that's not as well known, or do you do a celebrity? For example, I could tell you right now that, you know, that a simple plan that we listen to gosh, well over 26, 27 years ago. And yeah. I can tell you it was Griffin Dunn, the actor who was the narr- or the, uh, the reader. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, many times they'll use somebody famous. So it's kind of a, probably an odd decision. Do we use a, is it going to be distracting? Yes. Hearing a, that very known voice 
or would it be better to use yeah. you know a, a unknown voice? It, it, it is. It is a it, it is a difficult decision. I'm okay with uh, celebrity voices, provided I get sucked into the to the story. Yeah, exactly. If you can pass over. Yes, yeah, so, and you were mentioning um, seeing their face as they tell it. You, you know? mentioned in the Harry Potter Chronicles uh, earlier on, and I know in England uh, they were narrated by Stephen Fry. We may have mentioned his name before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did. Uh, wonderful has become a national treasure in England, wonderful broadcaster. Uh, but I know for the American editions of those audiobooks, Jim Dale recorded them, I believe. So Maybe. two completely different voices, completely different style. But uh, I mean, both work and both are very successful. But I do believe some voices are just gifted towards audio narration. And it's not, it's not an easy art form to get correct to be professional and to be perfect because i tell you why and again this comes from first-hand experience in my case it's the ability to do different accents different regional accents or different nationality accents and and deliver them in a way that doesn't sound like it's a pastiche of something it's got to just be a hint of something so if you are reading an australian voice it's got to come across as being australian but 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 not a caricature of yeah. Australian. If it's a British accent, it's got to be a British accent. Just a little hint of it, but some readers, some narrators can get it absolutely spot on straight away. Which is why I mentioned Simon Preble earlier on for his narration of 1984. There are a number of different accents in that book. He has to go through the Cockney accents, etc., etc., etc. But he just nails every... I mean, I, that narration of that book, I'm a big fan of the book, as I've said before, but the narration of that, to me, is the best I've ever heard. It's just a wonderful thing. Um, so, yes, it is, an, it is an art form all in its own right. Yes, I do remember talking about books and love of books that um, I was so pleased with myself to have started a book and finished a book in one sitting. Wow. And it was, a, it was a Doctor Who book. It was, I was only about eight or nine years old. It was a Doctor Who book. It was Doctor Who and the Pyramids of Mars. It was a Tom Baker play Doctor Who in that particular um, TV adaptation. But I've read the book, the version of it, in, up in my bedroom in the manor house. I read it from start to finish in, in one go. And I was so thrilled with myself to have got through it that I dashed downstairs and Mum was in the kitchen. And I said, Mum, 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 I've finished a book from start to finish in one go. Like, hey, look at me, aren't you, aren't you so proud that I'm your son? And she yes. turned around and said to me something like, I do that almost every day. And just carried on cooking. <laughs> which and I think the, and we, the wind was taken completely out of the sails. And... Which I guess is a lesson in life there somewhere. But she was a, she was a wonderful fan of literature and reading. And uh, I owe her an awful lot for my... For, her handing to me her enthusiasm for, for writing and reading and literature. So, uh, well, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to, you know, it won't be the same path with my daughter. Uh, she won't <laughs> wait, wait as long <laughs> as I did to even do a few. She, she just, just turned eight and has already finished her first book of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid oh, yeah. series right. and is deeply into number two. So well, that's, I'm, I'm that's saying good. Good, to, good for you. Yes, yes. I, I'm all for encouraging folks of any age to read, whether they're eight or eighty, if, if they haven't been surrounded by literature, uh, start read one page and see what happens. Um, but for me, it's been a wonderful, I don't know, wonderful distraction from the real world, maybe. But it's more than that. I think I just like to. Books, uh, books are like friends. I mean, I know that's a cliche to say that. Many, many, many folks have used that line over the years. But it's to me, it's a genuine thing. Books are, 
books become friends. And I know I have a first edition copy of Three Men in a Boat. It's heavily worn. And some of the pages are beginning to fall out. But when I pick it up and hold it, it's it's a reunion with an old friend. Yeah. And to start that story again from page one and... It's always there for you and it's consistent. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. They never let you down. You know what's coming next. Yes, that's right. They're consistent. Yeah. Yeah, that's books. Well, I enjoy talking about that. Well, I, I knew you would. I know it's a great passion of yours, and we probably just yeah. barely scratched the surface. And well, we'll, we'll return to something along those lines one another time. Yeah, but. and we talked about books and, and hardly said anything about a Hemingway. There's a reason to come back and do another episode. We'll <laughs> work it in again. Episode. Yeah. Well, gentle listener, I was just about to say gentle reader, but it would, would apply in this, in this instance. Well, gentle listener, I hope you enjoyed that. I most certainly did. Thanks for bringing that subject up, Kevin. Well, actually, it was, it was a suggestion from a, a listener that uh, was yeah. on a list of ideas. That's, so That's terrific. Yeah. Enjoy that. Join us again on another episode of Magic and the Other Guy. Bye for now. See you next round.